Welcome to episode 486 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 486 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James. Oh, how are you going, mate? I am pretty good. We're actually, we're actually backing up again this week because I'm in Sweden. And if we lost at rugby two days ago... No, we didn't, we John. Didn't. Okay. Score predictions. Here's, here's what happened. Okay. The French started well. Stayed with us to halfway. Yep. But we were just too strong we in the second the half. That last 20 minutes, we put 20 points on them. We won 37-18. Power off the bench. Yep. Good yeah. old uh, Sonny Bill. Yeah. He's playing well. Yeah. 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 Smoked you Frenchies. Take that. I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. Okay, guys. This week's show is a. Oh, and sorry, the patrons. And our patrons. We love our patrons. We haven't named any this week because we kind of. We're all over the place this week. This week it's a little bit different because we've pre recorded many interviews because obviously John and I aren't here this week so there's no real news it's more just lots of interviews and it's got a Kona focus mm. so we're going to have uh, first up we will have an interview with Xavier Kopok who is a athlete and also a coach from Australia and he was over in Kona watching from the sidelines <coughs> so he's going to give a bit, of, a bit of insight into how he coaches athletes how he saw it from the sidelines and just some, some general insights so here he comes Okay, guys, um, to get a bit more insight into the race, we've heard from some athletes, uh, some top athletes, some middle-of-the-pack middle, middle of the pack athletes, but it's also nice to get some insight from people that are on the sidelines. This year we had uh, Xavier Kopok, hopefully I've got the surname pronounced correctly. So he's a yes. four-time four Hawaii Ironman finisher with a best time of 9.09 for 67th place overall, so a very handy athlete in his own right. Um, and also been sub nine hours uh, four times around the world with the best time of 8.52. Smoking. Smoking it fast. Uh, also, if I can correct you there, it's 8.42, John. 8.42. You can't, you can't stitch me up those 10 minutes. Oh, God. I think mine was 8.52, so you, you've got... <laughs> I'm 9.05, so let's not even go there. <laughs> <laughs> so And also got a, got a coaching um, business as well and was over in Kona in that capacity this year because I think, uh, were you injured? Is that right? Yeah, I had hip surgery 10 weeks ago, so it prevented me from starting. So I thought I'd still take my, um, myself over there in a coaching capacity to support the, the 14 athletes we had racing under our banner. What, what's your banner? What's your coaching business? Uh, Team Try Coaching. We're based out of Melbourne in Australia, but we also do a lot of correspondence coaching. And one of the prime examples is Ben Bell, who just won you know, the world title in a 40-44 age group. He's from New South Wales. And so is that a full-time gig for you or is it part-time for you? Oh, it's more than full-time. <laughs> I know that deal. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely uh, my, sole, uh, my sole income. Very good. So uh, I, I've got to say, it was, I can't. I should pull up the name of who sent me through saying we should get you on. Um, but initially, he said he's over there with his team of one athletes. So he forgot to put the four, and I thought he was taking the piss out of you. Oh. So, <laughs> so you had uh, you had 14, 14 athletes on the line, which is which is pretty pretty impressive. Um, what what sort of uh, obviously you had Ben Bell who won the age group, but most of your guys. Um, Obviously, you've got to be fairly top to get to Kona, but do you have a big spread of athletes that you coach um, when you're back in Australia as well? Yeah, we we specialise more on long course, so 70.3 to Ironman distance racing. 
Um, and the, the athlete spread goes from, like, for example, in Hawaii, we had an 18 to 24-year-old girl mm-hmm. right up to a 65, 69-year-old lady. And I think we nearly covered every age group in between. Nice. Now, from a coaching perspective, you know, you, obviously you, you'll have a lot of athletes racing Melbourne and, and the Australian races and I'm sure some offshore races as well. Um, but how do you change your programs when they're getting ready for, say, a Kona versus, say, uh, a Melbourne? It's a, Kona's a little bit different coming from Melbourne because we have the need to acclimate for the conditions, as you guys know from New Zealand. Mm. Um, so it depends on when the guys actually get into Hawaii you know, the, the program's based around when they can get there to, you know, acclimatise the best they can. Mm. And I find that, like any everyone says, qualifying is actually harder than racing Hawaii. With mm. so many people who are competitive to want to get there, the pressure's more on getting there. Mm. And a lot of my guys, you know, depends on their abilities, how many times they've been there, what their expectations are. It's really a juggling act based on each individual athlete. Mm. And um, I guess one of the things that I really struggled with last year, I know you're a bloody strong biker because uh, we were at uh, Auckland 70.3, it was 2004, and I was out there quite happily um, riding along in first place for about 60Ks, thinking, got this uh, Kona slot in the bag, just need to put in a half-decent run, I should be sweet. And then you bloody dragged this pack of about six or seven guys up and just went straight past me on the bike. Luckily, I latched on the back. Um, but Kona is a, is a really different beast um, for, 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 for good age groupers in terms of how it sort of plays out on the bike. So what's your um, advice to say someone like a Ben Bell who's, who's you know, going to be in contention but is going to have to ride somewhat tactically on the, on the bike. So how, how, do, how do you sort of deal with that personally and how do you uh, advise athletes on dealing with the big packs on the bike? Uh, with, with Ben, for example, what I did with his program was tweak it around. So we did a lot more strength work late on his bike so, to simulate you know, climbing Harvey and then the traditional headwind back from Kwaihai to Kona. Yeah. Um, so a lot of his program was sort of flat, early on his um, biking and then did a lot of hills late to try and keep that strength up. Mm. We also tried to, our race plan was trying to minimise the loss or get as far as we could up the road before the big hitters come through like Damien Angus, um, Sam Guide and guys like that who have been renowned for riding 440 bike splits around the world. So Mm. it worked perfectly for Ben. Those guys didn't catch him till the descent on Harvey whereas last year when I was racing I caught Ben I think at quite high on the way out. So, you know, he was 40k up the road before the the big hitters got him, and then he got off the bike with I think only a three or four minute deficit. So, how, how does his power profile look there? I mean, do you use power with him or, or with other athletes? Does it does it is it is it more varied than uh, than say an even output all the way through the race? You're probably going to laugh at this, John, because I coach by perceived effort. Um, nice, and, no, I like it. Yeah, very. I only have I think three athletes who are purely based on power and that's only specific sessions that I set. Otherwise, it's more perceived. Um, I have a lot of contact with my athletes on a regular basis. I I like the hands-on approach where I'd rather them tell me how they're feeling than me analysing a number where you don't get that whole insight of are they doing it easy, are they doing it hard or whatnot. So, yeah, all my athletes, well, the three that podiumed in Kona, none of those three actually use power. Good to hear. So what was your sort of feeling going into the race? Um, I'm interested to hear how long 
before the race you actually got there and some of your athletes because the winds sounded like they were insane and it's really hard to gauge the winds because people say it's windy every year and you've been probably been there enough times and I've been there enough times to know sometimes it's, it's windy and but it's really not that windy so what were your sort of thoughts heading into the race based off some of those the windy conditions we've seen? If, if I could give you a um, my prediction leading into the race I thought it was going to be windier than last year based on how volatile the weather was I got there Four weeks before the race. Oh wow! Um, yeah. yeah, after I qualified at Melbourne, I booked on my flights, expecting to race, and then with the surgery putting me out, I still went across there early. Yeah, we had um, athletes sort of arrive four weeks out, three weeks out, two weeks out, and then our last athlete got there one week out. Yeah, on race day, yeah, it's, it was pretty calm. Um, reports was it, it was a bit of torrential downpour up at Harvey. Mm-hmm when the halfway through sort of the men's pack got up there. Uh, I went out on the on the bike up to the Queen K probably five five mile into the lead um, age groupers on a run. Mm-hmm. And it was it was definitely not as windy as last year. I, I think it was hotter because the wind was a lot less so there was no cloud cover. There was no breeze to calm you down or to cool you down. So totally different conditions to last year but you know, in the same right, it was a very tough day for all. As a coach, when you're not obviously racing, what, what do you see your role is on the race day? Um, we sort of have a meeting point in the morning, so I give the athletes one last um, talk if they've got any questions, you know, what they should do, where they should start, make sure they've got enough body glide on for the wetsuit or the speed suit. Uh, last thing I want to see my athletes do is chafe up in the swim and have a really tough day through you know, being uncomfortable. Mm. I follow my athletes pretty closely online with you know, splits that I write down. Then I usually go out and find them on the run and try and bring them home, give them some advice on you know, if they're in a position to podium, if they're in a position to you know, break a certain um, expectation. So a lot of encouraging, just keep, keep them on the right track with nutrition, hydration and just general moral support. Mm. Um, and what were your sort of observations of the, the pro race this year, you know, from, from standing on the sidelines? You know, we obviously saw the online coverage, um, but what were you sort of seeing from the sidelines? Because it looked like there was a lot of explosions and there was, it looked like there was a lot of slow running. Yeah, I think um, Keenley, uh, Fredino and Tim O'Donnell just worked them over perfectly on the bike. Having 16, 16 pro guys descending Harvey together, it was always going to be a matter of time before you know, some of the um, heavy hitters just bombed off the front. And uh, I was talking to uh, Tim Burkle uh, yesterday, and he said to me that it was a very variable power um, race where they were hitting 350 watts and they'd relaxed down to 250. So it's a bit more, more like a cycling race with the surges and attacks mm. versus a, a standard um, time trial. And I think from you know, talking to Tim and just observations, that's where it got them. If they had to stay constant, I think we would have seen a lot of um, pro men get off the bike together. Mm. What about other insights? You know, any insights that maybe because the thing is, for someone like you and like John, I have been there a few times. The experience is kind of similar, but every year maybe there's something slightly different. Is there any kind of evolution? Any kind of just maybe insights you picked up on this year that's slightly different from the past? Um, 
I think yeah, it, the, the race is changing. I've been over there for five years in a row and seeing how, like, when Mac had changed a race to be a cycling race to hurt um, Crowey and then Crowey learned how to ride. Last year, you know, Keenlay bombed off the front and held on the run. I, I'm sort of seeing this. The guys are more worried about preserving, preserving their legs on the bike because the run times, they're not that fast these days. So yeah. they're trying to, you know... The good riders are trying to preserve a bit, but they're trying to hurt the faster runners. Uh, I was looking through some stats um, a couple of days ago, and there's no real low 240 runs anymore like there was a few years back. Mm. They're all high 240s, low 250s, which are winning the race. It's it's bizarre. It's, it's we just you just look at it. You go for a Dino. You should be able to run 235. <laughs> Come on, yeah. what, what are you doing? Exactly it's, right. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. Um, and so, what's the what's the outlook for you personally in terms of uh, your hip surgery? What does that what does that mean for you? Um, I'm I'm ten weeks post surgery, so I'm allowed to start riding again uh, and running again in November, which will give me fourteen weeks roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll get the body going. I actually really enjoyed being a coach on the sidelines with carrying a lot of pressure for my athletes versus the individual pressure. Mm-hmm. So next year, I'm sort of 50-50 which way I'll go. I think I'll still be a, a fantastic training partner for my athletes and definitely you know, the coaching roles where I'm at. Melbourne still goes ahead. I've won that last two years, so I want to defend my title there. So, John, feel free to stay away. It's <laughs> guaranteed. What's the goss on Melbourne? You guys probably know you've got more insight than us. Obviously, the date seems to be changing all over the place. Yeah, obviously they changed it the first time to avoid the clash with the Grand Prix. Now the Grand Prix's changed it again. There's All the entries have been suspended while they um, sort out the, the plan of attack. I've sort of heard two conflicting stories. One is that it's going to go ahead on that same day and St Kilda's just going to be a nightmare where the finish line is. Yeah. And the other one is potentially they'll continue that same day but have a different finishing spot. Right. Okay. I know there's rumours around it's being cancelled, but that definitely hasn't been confirmed. Um, it's, yeah, it's been suspended, but yeah, they, I know they're in talks of trying to uh, work out the best way they can run that event without really, you know, making it tough for people. Yeah. Um, and probably the final thing for me, what, what's your sort of advice for, for listeners, you know? Obviously, you've got a bunch of uh, very talented, hard-working athletes that have got to Kona, um, but you've obviously probably seen a lot of athletes that have... Yeah, it's taking them time to get to Kona. What are some of the key attributes, maybe, of, of some of the maybe your, not your top top guys who just it's a case of just qualifying and, and then going over there and doing the business, but some of your more middle of the packers who have, who have scraped into qualifying. You know, what have what have they had to put in to actually um, get there, and what's made the big differences for them? I think when, as any athlete, you need someone to advise you. So when it gets um, the going gets tough and you're in bulk training, you got someone to bounce some ideas off, and it being patient, you know, I see now, and you've probably seen the same. A lot of athletes want a fast food <laughs> mentality, where they just want to enter a race, qualify, and I think it's easy as that. Mm. But just yeah, you know, giving yourself a good twelve months to start from scratch, start very easy, so you can get some base case into the body without risking injury, and then and just build up slowly. You know, the idea of doing a 12-week program to get yourself in the best shape for an Ironman, I don't believe in. Mm. I think you need, you know, six months minimum to have a really, really good Ironman. So patience, consistency, and, you know, trusting someone who can advise you, you know, the best possible outcome. Mm. 
Fantastic. So if people want to um, get in touch with you or follow you guys, um, give us your spiel in terms of your, your website and, and any other you know, um, promo you want to do. So we're Team Tri Coaching. Our website's www.teamtricoaching.com. We do a very um, simplistic training plan where we base our program around hours you're available to train. Mm. Um, yeah, we're coached locally in Melbourne. We've got coaches up in Cairns now. We're about to put a coach on in Western Australia, so we're definitely expanding, and we have a lot of contact with our athletes. The best way to get in contact with us is simply info at teamtricoaching.com. Perfect. That's fantastic. Oh, I look forward to locking horns with you at some stage uh, down the track. Probably a, r- a running race, I think, would be uh, my, my best opportunity to go against you. Uh, I was going to say no, man, John, after um, Auckland last year when you towered me up on that run, um, oh, I did feel bad for bringing that pack up, but... <laughs> As a cyclist, I've got to do those things. Because yeah. <laughs> you, you, you're a fairly big unit, aren't you? I seem to remember, I think it was you that passed me, and you, you seem to have whiplash on the bike the amount of times you looked around. But you're, you're a reasonable sized guy? Yeah, I'm six foot three and a half. I race oh. at 91 kilos. Yeah. Um, so the biking's definitely my strength. The windier days are better to suit me. I've can sort of, you know, for my size, I think I run quite well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I definitely know I've got to put some time into the pure runners like yourself. Yeah. Uh, 842 is not, is not too shabby it's a nice week thanks so much for your time and giving us a, a bit of coaching insight from, from the sidelines and um, yeah we'll hopefully maybe see you back there next year and we'll be on the sidelines as well thank you very much for your time boys thank you mate right. thanks mate have a good day ok so Xavier um, it is interesting stuff thinking about what your job as a coach on the day mm. It's tricky when it's you know you only see your athletes. Well, yeah, you, you get one them. kind of two interactions with you. Them, don't you? One once on the probably once on the bike, and then yeah, a couple on the run probably. Yeah, but some of that. What are you always thinking as a coach was if you're at a race? Well, if usually I'm trying to give constructive feedback because it's really hard to do splits and stuff like that. But he's obviously uh, pretty good at it. But it's usually to start thinking about the processes and technique and things like yeah. that. Um, splits, yeah, and Kona is somewhat difficult but when you've got a couple of guys that are right up the front of the field a little bit easier so good on you Xavier and we'll uh, see you at the races soon okay we've got another interview here and this is of Laurie Laurie Sherlock and she's from America mm-hmm. and uh, she just had a really good age group race and someone who's kind of stuck at it for a few years and pro- kept progressing so we thought we'd get her on and have a bit of a yarn to her Righty-ho, so um, as we've said earlier in the show, you know, we're going to have different perspectives from different parts of the, the race. Um, we've had top age groupers, we've had legacy athletes, um, we've had some, some coaches, and now we're going to have someone who finished 16th place in her age group, which was a very strong day at the office. Uh, she qualified at Lake Placid, with a, which was with the first, I think it was the first year, it was a non, non-pro race, and was right up there amongst <coughs> the not amongst the money, but amongst the overall placings. So her name is Laurie Sherlock, and she can tell us a bit more about where she's from. So Laurie, maybe just uh, welcome to the show and tell us a, a bit about yourself, where you're from, and, and what your deal is. Well, uh, I hail from West by God, Virginia, and it is uh, I teach at West Virginia University in the field of exercise physiology. Okay. Um, okay. And basically, I teach a lot, and it's focused in the field of aquatic therapy, but my favorite thing to do outside of work is triathlon. Nice. She's addicted to the sport. So, Laurie, can, I, can you tell me what was like being at Lake Placid when there were no pros? Because obviously you 
was obviously, you probably, you know, you obviously did pretty well in your age group. Was it like being a pro or, or what was that experience like? Um, well, I have to say it was probably one of the coolest experiences of my life, uh, being kind of in that top portion of the field where I came off of my bike in fifth place overall and then ran my way into fourth. By the time I got to fourth place, I had a lead bicycle person with me. So wow. I had I had an escort with me through the entire marathon almost. Uh, and then as I got to third, they traded me off to the third place bike and then eventually off to the second place bike. But it was, it's a story that I tell as often as anybody wants to hear. <laughs> it was just so amazing. And I pinched myself for, for the experience. It was awesome. Does it make it easier having a lead bike with you? It was. Uh, so basically the bike... Um, the guy asked me what I wanted. And so he's like, anything you want from me, just let me know and I'll do what I can for you. And I'm like, okay. He's like, do you need anything? I said, I'd love to hear a story. <laughs> and he laughed. And, he, and I'm like, no, I'm serious. So he told me a couple stories, a couple jokes, kept me, kept me high, you know, kept me in good spirits. And then with every aid station, he would ride ahead and tell them exactly what I wanted and they would have a person standing there specifically for me. Wow, so there's quite an advantage really, isn't there? It was unbelievable. So so how many tell us how many times you've been to, to Kona and and what's your sort of progression been like in Kona in terms of, you know, where you finish in the age group and where your aspirations were for this year? So I've been to Kona four times now. Um, my first year was just I was here for the experience more or less. Um, of course I wanted to do well, but you never know what it's going to be like or if you're going to get to come back. So I wanted to make sure that I savored every moment while I was here. And I really think I did that. I loved, I loved the race. I had a great time, but I also learned a lot. Um, one of the things that was very educational was my time out on the Queen K, but be it both on the, the bike and the run. Um, the winds are unreal. And so that prepared me more so for the second year that I came. Um, and I also didn't realize how unbelievably aggressive the field is. So coming from the standard Ironman races where you've got the mix of, of athletes of all calibers and then getting into this field where you've got basically people that are willing to go balls to the wall the entire time um, and kind of put their mean face on for the whole day. It's just a totally different experience. Um, so... Progression-wise, though, through through the four years here, from from going from just coming here to enjoy the experience to wanting to become a bit more competitive, has definitely upped the training game. Um, I took a year off in between my first two and my second two uh, for to finish my dissertation, and so I just didn't feel that I had the time or the the energy to to really put forth the effort to train for an Ironman that year um, and do what I, what I wanted to do. But gradually working my way up the ranks, um, I actually, I think last year I finished 27th overall, so this was a big jump. 16th mm. was, was really great. So what, what was the expectations in the plan going into the day for someone like yourself? I think that you never know what to expect because the weather is such a challenge here and it can change your race day minute by minute. Um, I think that you have to go into the day being willing to be malleable. 
because the, the wa- water can change halfway through the swim. Um, the winds can change, and they did, 10 miles into the bike. So it just kind of really depends on, on what the, the island gives you. Um, so my expectations, or what I try to do, is I try to stay as open as possible uh, to, to change. Hmm. And I really also think that I try to go in understanding that I don't know who's here, so I can't be hopeful of a placement, but I can be hopeful of my performance. I can only control that. So you, you say you got 16th, which is obviously a, a step forward again in this progression that you're working towards, and obviously you're pretty happy with that. Uh, why did you do well? And wh- wh- when you reflect on the race, on the race, what parts do you go? Oh, where's my evolution? Um, yeah, I, de- I definitely. When you think back to the race, you definitely have these things where that kind of nag at you a bit, like why did I do that, or why didn't I do that differently? Um, but I think. As far as the race goes, there I think that I did really well on the swim. I, I was um, in the mix of things. I knew that people were going to be aggressive, and I got aggressive right back. Um, on the bike, I knew that the winds were probably going to come, and they sure as hell did. Um, and I felt like with that, I had a couple moments where I let my fatigue get in the way of my performance. Uh, which, again, I will learn from for next time around. And then during the run, when I got off the bike, I was kind of in a, in a pretty deep hole. My core temperature was off the charts. I was so hot. Um, I felt like I was just kind of melting, and I knew the first couple miles it was going to be just getting my body back under control before I could do really anything when it came to, to getting a run on. And so... That's what I did. So just kind of knowing what my body was needing and then getting into that mental toughness uh, and making a deal with myself that I wasn't going to let myself slack. <laughs> mm. um, I think that's kind of where what helped with my progression this year. What, in terms of the, the, the split start now, so you've, you will have been there when you've had the mass start with all the guys and the girls together um, versus the last two years we've had the, the split start for the, for the males and females. So how has that worked for you who's someone who is towards the, the front, more towards the front end of, of your age group? Uh, has it meant the swims um, less violent? Um, but also, you know, you've obviously got to get through a lot more people, um, a lot more guys as you, as you work your way through the race. So is it something, yeah, tell us about that. Is it something you like or you, you preferred it the other way? Well, the mass start is very exciting. So I think that that really gets you mentally a bit more pumped up than, than the split starts. Um, the other thing that I enjoyed about the mass start was that when you get on the pier, there are a lot more bikes there. So you still feel like you're in the game with the Mm. split start, the bikes, the, the bike racks are empty. So it's like you get onto the pier and you're like, holy cow, I'm, I'm in last place. I mean, that's (laughs) kind of what it feels like, even though you know that you're just with the females and they're, they're the ones that started with you and their bikes are still there too. Um, but last year, when I got on the pier, it was kind of a, it was a big downer. Really, it was it's a bit of a blow. To the, yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a blow to the ego, um, because usually, you know, when you before this race, you're kind of in the top of your game, and you're used to getting into transition before a lot of people. Uh, this is a totally different ball game with that. Um, but during the swim, it's a lot less chaotic. 
I can tell you that. It's a lot more comfortable. You find open water a lot faster. Uh, if you are towards the front end of the, the female pack in the swim, though, you do end up passing through uh, some men. So I did pass through quite a few men um, during the swim, That some of which were desperately breaststroking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I mean, those are a little bit scary, but uh, yeah, so that does thin out things very nicely. Um, and it, it thins things out on the Queen K as well when you're out on that bike, uh, which is good. It ultimately is good. But then you have you have kind of a mix of people. You have um, really aggressive men that don't feel that a woman should pass them. And so they play this game back and forth with you. And they just, they like put themselves in the ground to pass you. And then they get in front of you and then they slow down. Yeah. So it just it that kind of stuff wasn't that's not cool. There aren't a ton of guys out there like that, but there are some, uh, and it gets to be a little bit reckless. Um, but other than that, I think the split start is helpful with thinning the crowd out a bit more, assisting with reducing the drafting, because sometimes when you're out there with the masses, it's hard not to be in a pack because yeah. there's just nowhere for you to go, um, and there were packs out there for sure. And you could tell people were working together for sure, um, but not as much as you saw when it was a mass start. Mm, nice. And so you, you, in terms of your analysis of, of this year's conditions, you, know, you said it was, uh, it was windy on the bike, um, a lot hotter on the, the run than perhaps what you've seen in the past. Anything else about this year that you found was significantly different? You know, just any, any changes that WTC have made around the event or was it other than the conditions sort of business as usual? Um, I think for the most part it was business as usual. I, I didn't really see any massive changes with how they produced the race uh, from start to finish. I think they, they kind of have this thing fine-tuned and nailed down. Uh, it's remarkably run. Um, and it's it's just really impressive with how they treat the athletes and how they treat the island and how they integrate those two components together. Uh, I think it's it's really done quite beautifully, and they make you feel pretty special here. If if, if you're going to give one tip, you know, like if, if I'm listening to this interview right now and I'm an age group who you know knows I could probably get to Kona, what would be the one kind of key tip that you'd give to those people listening right now? to know if, if they're heading towards next year's race? Um, if you already are heading towards the race, maybe, you know, get a dryer to train in. I don't know. <laughs> That's what it feels like. One of those big industrial out. ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, in, in all honesty, I think training for this event, um, you've got to put in the miles and you've got to have the answer to the question of why you're doing it. Uh, I think if you answer those tough questions before you get out onto the course, you're going to be at a lot more ease with yourself because it's the mental battles that will bring you down far quicker than the physical battles out, out here. Yeah. Mm, I like that answer. Awesome. What, what about, just regardless, like if you were to think of one highlight from the day, what would that be? Hmm. Um, I think it's hard, to, it's hard to pass up the finish line. I mean, when you run down a Lee Drive, you basically get carried by the fans. I mean, yeah. they're... 10 people deep on either side of the road and they're complete strangers and they're cheering for you like you're their sister or their daughter and you're running down this street and they're just screaming for you and it's 
it's something that I hope everybody gets to experience if they love this sport. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Maybe just before we go, just maybe tell us a bit about um, your role in terms of aquatic therapy and stuff because it's a topic we haven't really discussed on the podcast much before in terms of aqua jogging and things like that. So um, maybe just share a little bit about that in terms of maybe just... um, We've all done it when we were injured. We've all done it when we were injured, but for for somebody to just get in the pool and aqua jog is a it's, it's it's like getting on the wind trainer and not having a plan. It's bloody hard to do. So, what are some of the tips that you maybe you've got around aqua jogging rehab in terms of actually making it um, an effective use of people's time? So, really, I think the the trick to aqua jogging, and it is something that I love. It's something that I love to to do. I love to teach, and I love to incorporate into my own personal training and. And definitely do to uh, help others to incorporate it into their own personal training. Um, but I think the key to it is to come in with a workout that you wanted to do outside. So you treat it just like an outdoor workout. So if I wanted to do a long, slow distance workout, that's going to be probably the most challenging mentally. So maybe you know you toss on some tunes or you toss something around the pool that's going to keep you intrigued during that long, slow distance pattern. But for the most part, I like to do more exciting things, like if I'm work doing form work or drill work. Um, those are the types of things I like to incorporate with uh, some of the West Virginia University athletes that I work with or some of my clients that I work with um, where we're doing cadence drills or we're doing form drills. Um, the beauty of the aquatic environment is that basically it's allowing your muscles to contract in both directions concentrically, meaning that... Mm. Um, you're working, uh, the muscle pair instead of just forcefully working one muscle group predominantly over the other. So it it builds in this really phenomenal muscle balance to your body and allows you to kind of recalibrate and, um, reformulate how your body mechanics are working. You can retrain your gait pattern because the aquatic environment, the water is so much, it slows down your movement because it's so much thicker. Um, so it, because of that uh, slowness of your movement, you can think it about think about it a little bit more and you can uh, apply corrective patterns to retrain your gait pattern if it's if that's what indeed is causing the injury so those are things that i really like to think about you know working on form working on cadence doing sprint work or drill work that where sprint work can just beat you up like nobody's business if you're doing it on a track and let's face it a track's no more exciting than a pool um (laughs) so getting on a track and doing 200s or getting in the pool and doing a timed 200 um that that's a really great way to use the aquatic environment to improve your fitness uh, or even plyometrics, which a lot of people can't do on land because of some kind of physical um, impairment or just limitation. Mm. And the aquatic environment provides that with uh, beautiful ease. Uh, Basically, anybody, almost anybody can do plyos in the aquatic environment if you're looking at waist to chest deep water. Is there any good websites that have... um have sort of uh, you workouts, know, workouts and, and things like that on them that you, that you know well, off the top of your um, head? I can tell you that I wrote a, a workout app for Speedo, and it was a Speedo Pace Club. I'm not sure if that is still a live application, <laughs> um, but it was up there for, for quite some time, so it might still be available. Uh, and there are shallow water and deep water workouts available on that. Um, also, the Aquatic Exercise Association, they always have 
things posted and I believe I have a couple workouts posted on their website as well. Perfect. Um, Perfect. And if you'd like, I can send, I can send one to you all and you can post we- one up on your site. Sounds good to me. We'll do that because this is going to be out on next week's show. So that's perfect. Hey, um, Laurie, thanks so much for. Oh, any any plugs you want to give for anybody? Um, uh, you know, any of the sponsors or anything that you've got locally or um, people locally that have given you assistance to get to the race. Yeah, I would love to thank uh, Goo Energy Labs for hooking us up this week uh, and taking care of us, getting us ready for this race. Um, Walmsley Cycles, who constantly take care of my bicycle and. Uh, my family and my awesome husband who awesome. puts up with all of my crap. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, no, it's brilliant. It's awesome to get all these different insights from the race and uh, we'll look forward to hopefully seeing you back in Kona. Yep. Good luck next, next year. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for your time. Seems like a pretty knowledgeable day, that one. She is, yes, and good strong day at the office. Always good to see some progression. Hopefully a lot of these Kona athletes have uh, been on X Endurance and got their... Oh, we're doing the, we're doing the sponsor, are we? Yeah, nice. yeah they got, got their protein from X Endurance. It used to be called... Uh, what did it used to be called? doesn't matter what it used to be called now. Oh, it's called protein. Yeah, I remember what it was called. It was when you brought the shake thing around, eh? Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. I love the flavours of the stuff. So you basically... It's new name, new packaging, same great formula. Uh, 20 grams of proprietary sports protein blend, 100, uh, 1,500 milligrams of lactate for energy. So it's basically your post-training and recovery fuel. So check it out, protein recovery drink. Uh, and we love the flavour. They do have the bottles on there from... Well, they've got the little gizmo thing in the middle, which really starts to help to, to mix it up. It's got 100% of the US-recommended daily servings of vitamin B6, B12 and D. It's got BCAAs, uh, 18 amino acids, gluten free like that, uh, hydrogenated oil free, preservative free and trans fat free. So check it out, X-Endurance Protein if you want to get some good recovery from the races and also have something that just tastes damn good, check it out. What you can do, Jombo, is you can tag that on. So let's say you're going to get your X-Endurance, Extreme Endurance, you know, when you're there, you might get some protein as well. You might get some Fuel 5 or some creatine. You know, they've got a lot of different products nowadays. So when you're there, you can kind of just do one big order at once. If you're a little bit older, you might get their Joint 4 formula. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just this way that you can get on top of things and, uh, you know, do one big order at once, get your shipping down, and then you'll be set for the next period of time. Got to do a quick Statstastic, Bevan. No need for the music. Okay, Xendurance.com, Jumbo. Okay, I, I have to admit, I did think this is a good stat. Statstastic. It's fantastic. Fantastic. We had the debate a few weeks ago before the show, before Kona. Bevan pulled up the old landmass of America saying it's a big country, and I said, I, I, said the ma- I said the map's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did too, yeah. <laughs> so my argument was that because there's always been this, well, the Americans get an unfair advantage in Kona because they get so many more slots in comparison to other countries. 32%. And then sure. I said, well, and I always kind of agree with that. But then I looked at the map and I was like, well, when we look at landmass and population in comparison to Europe, is it actually unfair? Mm. And so someone's come in? Or did you no, I came in. Back it up. It Europe, work. Europe has 742 million okay. population versus America, 318. Okay, there we go. I think the world population is not really relevant here. There's 7 billion, but so many no. countries don't even do triathlon. But you'd say most countries in Europe probably have a triathlon. Yep. Landmass, 10.18 million kilometres square for Europe. So it's actually pretty close, isn't it? Versus 9.857 million for America. So landmass-wise, it's actually pretty Pretty evident. similar. The US gets 32% of the field. So it's unfair. Mm. They should get more. Land mass wise, <laughs> yeah. 
population wise. Well, well, no, because then you've got to go say US. You, then you'd say it's kind of fair. You go US get third, you know, roughly a third. Europe get roughly and a third, Asia. and the rest of the world get a third. Yeah. So, that's actually so land fair, mass wise, you'd say maybe it is fair. Population wise, you'd say it's not fair. What's the population of of the rest of the world? Well, seven billion. Yeah. So the rest of the world's getting screwed. Here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The rest. <laughs> the, the Chinese screwed. and the Indians yep. are getting screwed. <laughs> I will note that I saw something on slow twitch. I, I know we've got to rush through the show. Bevan's got to right, go, yep. but. The Chinese new owners of um, no, I Man, that Slowtwitch article, they did an interview with one of the guys from there. They took over quite a lot of media to Iron Man this year. Uh, oh, Chinese yeah. media. You've never seen a Chinese media person in oh. Conan before. So they had about, I think I said they had like 30 people with them. So starting to build, a, build mm, the brand. So interesting to see where that goes. Uh, United States is the most represented countries with uh, 768 competitors, accounting for nearly 30% of the field. Australia has the second most athletes. So actually, Australia's ripping off the system. Yes. But. They're qualifying. Yes. So actually, the Australians are Punching pretty impressive. Their weight. Yeah. They have 250. Germany, 175. Great Britain, 148. Canada, 114. And Brazil, 98. John, did we, did we do a sponsor already? We've done Extreme Endurance. Okay, let's do an interview. Sounds good. Uh, we're not sure who we're putting in. Well, we, I, I've, I should have uh, Ben Bell lined up. I've, I've lined it up for an interview in the next couple of days, uh, which was last week. And Ben Bell won the age group of 40 to 40, 40, 44. So, so that's Australian athlete, that's one of the hot age yeah, groups. Yeah, that really is, isn't it? Because when we think of participants in Ironman, that's probably the biggest field, isn't it? That, or 35 uh, to 40, 39. I'd say 40 to 44 would be bigger. Yeah. Either 40 to 44 or 45 to 49. Yeah, I think, yeah, so... Mm. So he technically is the most successful athlete in the biggest field in the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> roll that. athlete ever. <laughs> so here we go. Here's Ben, hopefully. <laughs> if not, it's someone else. Yeah. Here we go. Okay, next up on the show, we have someone who swam 59.01, biked 4.58.36 and ran a pretty impressive 3 hour 52 in those hot conditions uh, for a total time 9.03.53. That placed him 32nd overall, but more importantly for him, first in the 40-44 age group and also happened to be 4th age grouper overall. It just happened to be 30 seconds behind the, one of the past champions, Frederick Van Leer. So his name's Ben Bell from Australia. Welcome along to the show. Yeah, good day, John. Nice to talk, mate. Hey, um, uh, with a lot of age groupers, we really just want to hear a bit of your background. I managed to do a bit of stalking on you and found a little page on you. It sounds like you only really got into a triathlon around about um, 2010 or so. So maybe give us a bit of a, the deal on, on your background and how you've gone from um, 2010 to being a Kona champion in 2015. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's right. I started tries in 2015 was my first season, just crossing over from surfboat rowing. Yep. Um, so I think it was 2011, Ironman Australia was my first Ironman, I was lucky enough to qualify for Kona first go. Nice. Um, so yeah, since then I've had four cracks at Kona, um, three top tens, and this year I managed to get the win. Nice. And, and what, prior to um, triathlon, you know, pretty much we, we normally find that most Australians uh, swim at least, at least half distance, but um, what's your sort of sporting pedigree prior to that? Um, yeah. Well, actually, as the swim sort of held me off getting into it initially, I was not scared of water, but I surfed all my life. But, yeah, swimming was, wasn't real flush at that. But grew up rowing surfboats and playing rugby league. Um, rode surfboats national level for almost 20 years. Um, that was a really good base for the triathlon. There's a lot of cross crossover there. Um, this, the running, bit of bike riding. So you need pretty good um, aerobic fitness and um, I found that helped me cross over pretty well. 
Nice. And what, what about your sort of your home setup in terms of family work and stuff like that? Yeah, well, I'm pretty fortunate there. I've got a wife and two young daughters. They're both, or they're all really supportive. Um, work full time, project manager. Um, I've got a pretty good job. Hours are flexible, um, so that allows me to get um, a pretty good volume of training in with one sort of long day a week during the week. Then um, most of the weekends are spent with the family. Nice. Um, very good. That's, that's always a challenge. So um, in terms of your, your training, you know, we had Xavier on the show earlier, so I'm not sure how long you've been working with him, but I understand you're not in the same location, whereas he's got his, his group down there. Um, maybe, maybe run us through, you know, what a, a sort of typical week is, looks like for you in terms of when you're in a, the main build-up for an Ironman race in terms of um, yeah, hours per week, what, what, what's, what's your sort of routine? Yeah, that, that, that's key there, routine with a family for me. Um, probably average 20 to 25 hours. Mondays generally um, I'll run in the morning before work, swim in the afternoon after work. Tuesday uh, it's a shortish bike before work, sort of hour and a half I'm looking at there. Then I'll swim in the afternoon with the kids while they do their swim squad. Nice. Um Wednesday, I'm pretty fortunate I get Wednesdays off work, just working a four-day week. Um, I get my long, longish bike ride in the morning in with a long run off the bike. That's sort of my staple session for the week. Yeah. Then I might get another recovery short swim session in the afternoon if I'm lucky. Um, Thursday, it's just a short hour, hour bike ride or something like that in the morning. Then a quick half-hour, 40-minute run off the bike on Thursday. Yeah. Um, Friday mornings rest rest morning generally, with a pretty swal- solid um, swim session in the afternoon part of a squad. Um, Saturday mornings are only generally pretty short. My daughters play netball, so it sort of takes up most of the, most of Saturday morning. But I try and get ride for about an hour and a half, with uh, hour and a half run straight off the bike, and it's off the netball for most of the morning on Saturday. Yeah. Um, Sunday is generally a long ride with a short ride off, short run off the bike again on Sunday, and that's pretty much a typical week, week in, week out, sixteen week build up for the Ironman. Yeah. So, um, in terms of uh, your sort of year plan, so you've done, have you done Kona pretty much every year since you you qualified? Um, what do you sort of do between your build up? So you know, say you you build up for Melbourne or or. Um, or whatever the race you, where you go and qualify, um, what do you sort of do between your build-ups? Uh, the, the volume obviously drops a little bit. Um, I'd like to get, ideally, if I can race two halves in that sort of build-up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not. It's pretty easy, like, building up to Ironman Australia or Melbourne. You know, there's, it's right in our season, so it's easy to find a race to go and do there. Kona's a little bit different. Um, typically do... Done your poon previously. This year was sunny coast. That was four weeks out from Kona, mm-hmm. which is sort of closer than what I've raced before. But um, yeah, I, I raced pretty well out there, and I was pretty confident leading into Kona. I felt good, and um, yeah, it all worked well. Worked out well on race day. So, um, in terms of Kona, um, when when did you arrive? Because Xavier said that you know some guys are arriving as much as four weeks before. So, what what was your deal arriving in Kona? I arrived Friday two weeks out. That's pretty much what I've previously done before. I find that to be sort of the ideal number for me. It's not too early and it still gives me plenty of time to acclimatise. Yeah. I'll just 
take it easy on the weekend when we get there. Then I'll have sort of three solid days, the tu- Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The first week I'm there, then I'll really start to taper after that. Nice. Uh, so what, what was your plan for this year's race? Um, given you've been there a few, or plan and your expectations, given you've been there a few times, um, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, your, your previous best was it was a 10th place. So what, what was your sort of plan in terms of, and expectations for the race? Yeah, well, pre- previously I'd finished sixth. I was Six, 30 right. seconds off, off the podium previously, and that was, um, <laughs> that, that sort of hurt a little bit, but um, I was, I was pretty keen to get on the podium this year, and that was the major goal, just to get on the podium anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was absolutely stoked just to make the podium, to, let alone to win it. Yeah. And um, compare the day for us. You know, if you've been there you, last year, was uh, there was a bit of wind on the bike. Um, the year before, from memory, was pretty calm. So, out of all the times you've been, um, what was the what were the differences this time round? Probably just the heat. Um, the, the run was really hot this year. Um, there wasn't a lot of wind on the run. There's no cloud cover, so it was pretty much just survival on the run, just running from aid station to aid station, just hydrating the best you could um the bike it wasn't too bad it certainly wasn't as windy as last year um it was a bit of a steady wind from Waikoloa out to Kauai on the way out there's a bit of a headwind there and you've got your sort of typical wind riding up the Harvey nothing too strong and coming home uh probably just the cross sort of gentle headwind it wasn't brutal but yeah it was certainly very hot cool so, so talk us through your day. First up, um, the swim. You know, 59-minute swim, you're certainly not at the front of the pack, um, but you're certainly not at the, the back of the pack. You know, the, the lead age groupers are usually sort of you know, mid-50s, and then yeah. the, the, the bulk of them are starting to come out sort of anywhere from 57, 58, 59, and, and the contenders, if the, you know, there are a few really good bikers who are well over an hour, but, you know, you're probably in mid, mid-pack mid in terms of the contenders. So talk, talk yeah. us through the swim this year. Um, the, the swim area seemed a bit narrow, a little bit more condensed than what it's been previously. It's usually, I, from my memory, it's a lot wider across the bay. Yeah. They seem to narrow it up this year to make it even more brutal. <laughs> That's what we heard. Uh, it's yeah, it was, yeah, it was really crowded at the start. and I was just more or less smack bang in the middle on the front line, just ready to get amongst it. Yeah. And it, it certainly was congested, but um, I, I had a pretty comfortable swim and People say that the course was slow on the day, but um, 59, I think I got let out of the water a little bit further up than what I typically would. Mm-hmm. So um, all in all, yeah, I was, I was quite happy with the swim. Um, it didn't take too much out of me. It was, it was about round about where I thought I'd be. So, yeah, I was, I was really happy there. And, and how do you, onto the bike, you know, how do you personally deal with the, the, the biking? Because... Um, I was there last year. I would have probably been maybe a couple of minutes in front of you, um, and it's it's a real challenge on the bike if you're trying to be a contender. For for those guys that ride sort of four forties and stuff like that, then they can ride straight through the field. But for guys like you, you know, you rode four fifty eight, so you're obviously a really strong rider, but you're not one of those absolute axes that can ride that sort of four forties. So how do you deal with the the packs and and making sure that your effort's not going crazy, but at the same time, you know, you are pushing forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm certainly not an Uber biker by by any stretch of the imagination. I I just wanted to relax on that first half of the ride. And traditionally, I haven't finished the ride off real well. I've sort of been going backwards at the end of the ride. So I wanted to save something in the tank tank for the trip home. And I found that 
I did that this year. I got home the last sort of 40, 50 k's a lot better. Um, first half, as I said, yeah, I just really controlled my effort and just really concentrated on staying legal the best you could, the best I could. Um, I really just wanted to avoid the penalties and stay out of trouble early on, and that was my main focus. Was it any different this year? You know, last year, I mean, I got pinged for drafting, um, and when I pulled into the 10th, there would have been at least 30 guys in there, if not more. Um, was it pretty much business as usual, or was it any different this year? Um, I, for me personally, I, I found it to be a little bit cleaner. Um, as I said, I, I swam fractionally quicker this year in relation to the rest of the field. I was probably a little bit further up than what I was last year. Um, I thought think those extra couple of minutes made a big difference, yeah. less people being up the road. And um, they, they've apparently got over 200 in the in the tent on the day. So yeah. they, they certainly got a few, but um, it's just part and parcel of that race, unfortunately. It is. And, and, and I've sort of said I'm not really that interested in going back there until um, they go to wave starts just because the bike is um, a bit of a debacle. But would you prefer to see wave starts or do you, you like the rough and tumble of the, the full-on start and that's, you know, if you go over there, you know, the drafting and stuff on the bikers, that's that's part of the deal? Oh, it, it's a tough question. Um, no one likes the drafting um, and I think the majority of the guys like the hustle and bustle and the adrenaline rush of the mass start. Um, yeah. I really don't know what the answer is there. Um, yeah. Just I would like to see a cleaner race, as I'm sure most of the guys would. Though. Yeah. Um, okay, so on to the, on to the run. Uh, three hours and fifty two seconds. Um, from what I could see on the front page, uh, that looked like it was the fastest age group time overall. Um, we certainly see age groupers go quicker than that elsewhere in the world, um, significantly quicker than that. But over there in that heat, that looked like a pretty respectable time when you see guys like Jan Fredino uh, not going that much quicker than that. You must have had a pretty good run. Um, maybe just talk us, talk us through that. You said it was survival, but um, what was your sort of, uh, did you run to pace or did you just run to feel? What was your plan? No, I just run the field, no Garmin, no heart rate. Um, I wasn't even timing the race on the weekend, um, so it was purely by feel. I got off the bike feeling pretty good. Um, I thought there's five or six guys up the road. I didn't think they were too far, and I just wanted to reel them in as quickly as possible. Um, I haven't even had a good look at the splits yet, but I'm pretty sure I started off probably a little quick, and I, I probably paid for that a little bit on the back end, but... Um, once we got through the Lee Drive section, just about before we head up Polani, I got the split from Xavier saying I was in the lead. So from that point on, I was, I was pretty comfortable the rest of the way and um, just kept ticking over the best I could. Nice. I tell a lie, it looks like Levi Maxwell ran 2.58. So yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe you were second fastest. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. That'll do me. <laughs> nice. So I guess next year... Um, no, no, maybe, maybe tell us a bit about um, the finish. And, you know, it, it seems that the, the you first guys were coming in um, mixed amongst some of the higher-placed um, female pros. So I know that, that when that first guy came across the line, uh, it might have been the, roughly the same time as the fourth or fifth-place girl or something like that. Um, and so that he didn't get much attention on the live coverage. What about for you? Did, were the crowd aware of you guys being the leading age groupers when you're coming through, or do they think you guys are sort of the tail-end pros? Oh, probably a bit of both, to tell you the truth. Um, I was pretty lucky. I had wife and kids there and all my supporters, so they certainly knew where I was. Um, yeah. And there's one of the females, I think it might have been Julie Guy, uh, 
she, oh, I let her go down and shoot in front of me while I saw the wife and kids because <laughs> at, at that stage I knew I was in first. I was, I was in no real rush to get over the line. I just wanted to soak it up as much as I could. So that's all I really did um, with my finished shoot. And, and what's the de- what's it been like after the race? You know, obviously we we all go over there, and you want to have the absolute best race that you can um, to win is is incredible. But has there been much reaction from uh, from the tri community, or or any, or any contacts from potential sponsors or media or anything like that? Uh, at this point in time, it's been pretty quiet. We only arrived back in Australia late last night, so uh, been more in party mode to tell you the truth. The last couple of days. Um, but the messages and the support and the phone calls of that from friends and family and the supporters that I currently have as a head just been unbelievable. And uh, do they still give you guys that win the, uh, the, the sort of the world champions bike jersey? Yeah, I've got the bike jersey. Um, the boys have already been giving me stick about that. Um, they seem to think it'll be coming out every group ride, but uh, <laughs> we might have to frame that one. Nice. And I guess you don't have to qualify for next year. Yeah, that's right. Apparently, um, like the little medal there in the with your bowls it says you don't have to qualify. So I, I take it that's the case. And do you, but do you still have to pay the entry or not? I presume you do. Oh, I'm guessing you'd have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it would surprise me if you didn't have to. Yeah. So, so what's the plan now? You know, you've uh, you've crested the top of the world in the in the age group. Um, is the the motivation? I mean, I know it's only a few days after the race, but is the motivation still um, sky high to go back there and, and keep achieving, or or have you got other objectives you want to go out and achieve? Um, to tell you the truth, this is going to be the last Kona for about five years. I thought probably till I aged up again next time, but oh, there's just something about the place. It's just it's got this magnetic appeal and home arriving home yesterday i'm already thinking about going back but i, I don't think it will happen next year uh, 70.3 worlds at malulaba they're always going to be the focus for next year mm-hmm. so uh, at this stage that'll probably be the case then um 2017 challenge roth was sort of on the radar so we'll see what happens in 2017 nice and um, maybe just tell us a little bit. I, f- I found you know some of your details through this fusion team and stuff like that. So maybe tell us a bit about any sponsors you've got, or, or anybody you'd like to thank, or, or um, yeah, any sort of promo if people want to follow what you're up to. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, just John from Fusion Australia has just created Fusion Team Australia. It's basically an age group team um, with the focus, you know, of looking after some of the elite age groupers if you like then um with a bit of a focus for ways of um developing some young up-and-coming long course races mm. that's nice. um got sort of give back a bit to the sport that's sort of john's philosophy and um yeah so i've been pretty fortunate to be part of that and along with that team he's got pop helmets athletes foot fuel belt so they're all on board with fusion team Mm. And also the local local bike shop at home, Spearman's, they've been giving me a giant bike to ride for the last couple of years, which has been absolutely brilliant. I can't thank them guys enough, along with the wife and kids and mm. all the boys from the Tri Club. Fantastic. So if you guys want to check that out, it's fusionteam.com.au and you can see what uh, Ben and some other bloody champion Australians are at. By the time this actually goes to air, it will be post uh, quarterfinals in the, the rugby. How confident are you feeling about your Aussie team or do you not give a toss about rugby? No, I certainly give a toss. <laughs> One thing being over in Coda, there wasn't a whole lot of coverage of the Rugby World Cup, so that'll be good to catch up on a bit of that now. But 
from all reports, the Aussie boys are doing really well, and um, it'd be great to see them bring home the trophy this year. Oh, well, you have the All Blacks standing in front of you, so <laughs> awesome, um, Ben. That's brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, and. Um, we will look forward to seeing you maybe uh, kick some butt in that 70.3 next year. Cheers, John. Nice talking. Oh, Jombo Athlinks. Athlinks.com. Got Ironman Florida coming up. Uh, and the cool thing is you just go on to Athlinks. Of course, you can go to the Ironman website and you can see, you know, uh, the, the results from last year. But you've got to scan through a whole bunch of things to, to get there and you don't know what those people have done at other races so go to athlinks.com just plug in Ironman Florida and then all of a sudden you can go through there and find some of these uh, sort of the finishes there mighty fine people and I look down here and actually the first finisher from Athlinks was Pedro Gomes who's a or Gomez who's a pro athlete from Scottsdale Arizona his Um, name comes up a lot mm. but then uh, next one who is on Athlinks finished 12th last year uh, Carl Johan Danielson. You just basically, it's cool. You just go and click on their names. You go back and you can find all their results from around the world. He actually went 755. He's also a pro. But we've got to remember last year in Florida, I think they didn't didn't have the swim. But yeah, if you ever want to see how all these athletes are in terms of where they've come from, and it's cool that we've got some pros here, you can just go and see, click on athletes get all their uh, results and you can see right he started 10 years ago and it's taken him that long to be able to do you know a sub nine hour Ironman so if you've got potential you know, aspirations to get to Kona etc check it all out on athlinks.com they've got pretty much all the I'd imagine all the Ironman races um, and you can go and suss out what the deal is with the top athletes nice work athletes.com guys if, you, if you're on there everyone who goes on there loves having this resource in their life and it's something you'll <coughs> never regret being a part of so John, but that's pretty much uh, 2015 kind of coverage. And coming. we will not be back if we've lost the rugby next week. The show's finished. I think. I just, oh, we're with we're, 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 ten years. Our embarrassment at uh, losing to France in the quarterfinals will be so immense that I think we'll call I'll it. Be, well, next week I'm going to be recording from LA. Oh. Yeah, so I'm going to be in LA. You'll be going to do a show from LA. You'll be out of the depression that's and crunching on New Zealand. Yeah, it's not going to be a happy place What's if that, that happens. The, if we oh, lose, if we lose. Oh, especially if we lose this weekend, mm. you know, be a, last weekend, be a last weekend, they'll be atrocious. Mm. I'm going to be in LA. I'm going to be hanging out in LA now. Wait a second, I'm trying to. I'm going to be hanging out with Michael, Michael Rowe, and his lovely partner. Now he's got his partner's names here as well. Michael and Sandra. Mm. They've been married for two years, I think it is, or a couple of years. Why don't you play that game that you tried to get our listeners to do, where you lock your partner out of the house? Why don't you lock them out of their house? <laughs> Someone did it too, didn't they? Yeah, they locked their wife Someone out. Did, did yeah. Go stay at Zeus. They're being so nice to offer me a place to stay, which is amazing. Um, I'm not going to do that, John. I guarantee that. I'll guarantee Just look out for it, Michael. <laughs> I'm not going to lock you out of your house. I promise, Michael and Sandra, I promise. Um, so, yep, Jumbo, your boss. Our quarterly sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons, one of which is going to be with us in Kona next year. Boop, boop. Nice. John, your goss. My goss, I'm back to running 100%. Last weekend, I just absolutely smoked it, and I am I am on. I'm predicting a, a sub-220. I actually am going to go for it. At the weekend, just been, it's either go or broke. So what? If, if it blows? It blows, whatever. But I need to get How far do you have to go? I'm just going to go, probably do like 10K or something at oh, race right, pace. Oh, quality. Yeah. Okay. So if it goes, it blows, and I won't run, and I'll be carrying shopping bags. Yeah. Oh, of course, you can still go up, won't you? Because the girls are coming up. The, the benefit is, if it blows, you get to watch rugby. 
if we're in the rugby, that's yes, yeah, that's true. Final. So like you know, it might not be terrible. Mm. Yeah. Very good, Bevan. Uh, anything you want to say? I'm in LA, hanging out with Michael and, and Sandra. Mm. Yeah. You're teaching a class here or something? Or no, you no, it's holiday. I want to see comedy. I'm going to do comedy, music, food. Just going to have a good week. Mm-hmm. So it should be good times. Um, and then we'll be back in the studio next week, Jumbo. So, online. Online. You know, are you back the week after, are you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, no, yeah, online in LA next week. Yes. And then, the, yeah. Yeah, I have to figure out how to do this from Michael. And, I, I, I hope you've got a good internet connection. You can do that. Yeah, yeah well, surely they will have. Hmm. Yeah, no, they responded to my email. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. I'm Russ. I've been done. Train hard. Train smart. Kick hard.